Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, we'll continue with the uh, hymn of the month for the last time. Uh, Songs of Thankfulness and Praise stands as Four and five today. Stanzas four and five. <laughs> Sun and moon shall darken be, stars shall fall, the heavens shall flee. Christ will then like lightning shine, all will see his glorious sign. All will then the trumpet hear. All will see the judge appear. Thou by all wilt be confessed. God in man made manifest. Grant us grace to see thee, Lord, present in thy holy word. Grace to him imitate thee now and be pure as pure art thou, that we may become like thee at thy great epiphany, and I praise thee, ever blessed, God in man made manifest. All right, we'll continue with our uh, catechism. And Bible memory work, and we're back to the very beginning of the catechism today. So we've gone through the whole whole catechism, and we're we're back to the beginning. What is the? Uh, it should say first commandment there. Yeah, I just realized that. What is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. In the Bible memory work, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your and with all your mind and with all your strength. Mark 12:30. Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And Luther's morning prayer. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. 
For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. All right, uh, kids can head off to Sunday school there. Um, so we've we've had this hymn. This is our fifth week on this hymn. So I'll I'll see what else I can uh, dig out of it here. Um, I think it is kind of amazing in a sense that uh, with these hymns. Um, I talk about the hymns every every Sunday school, right? And uh, we have them for a whole month in a row, and there's still always something to say. And uh, I just I do really encourage everybody to whenever we sing the hymns in church, um, as much as you're able, you know, pay attention to the words and to the poetry because uh, the the hymns are really one of the great treasures of the church that's um, passed down to us. You know, you can think about the hymnody of the church, I think, kind of being this treasure vault or this this bank vault, right? And uh, over the course of church history, um, every generation gets to put their inheritance, put their uh, put their own uh, workings of of hymnody into that into that vault, and then the rest of the church gets to enjoy it, right? Gets to inherit it, and um, it's a really beautiful thing. I mean, when you look at our hymnal, we have hymns from basically every century going back all the way to the Old Testament. So um, there's so many good hymns to sing, and and uh, they they really do teach us a lot and and speak to us in a way that uh, prose does not speak to us. So right when when you're thinking about writing. Um, something. There's basically two categories. There's poetry and prose. Poetry is poetry, um, and prose is everything else, right? There's uh, prose is the just yeah sermons, uh, you know, fiction, nonfiction, whatever it may be. But uh, there's there's prose, right? Stories. Um, Nonfiction is maybe a little different, I guess, but uh, a little bit different categories there. But um, when we're thinking about words speaking to us, poetry is just different, right? It speaks to the heart in a way that uh, prose cannot. And so uh, the hymns are are just really beautiful in that way, and and I encourage everyone to pay attention to the words because there's a, there's always things to mine out of the out of the hymns. Anyway, uh, with that said, uh, with this hymn, I, one thing I'll just point out with these last two verses, we've, we have already talked about them a little bit, um, is so, something I noticed thinking about today in the church year. Today is Transfiguration Sunday, Transfiguration Sunday, where Jesus is transfigured on the mountain before Peter, John, and James, and uh what what happens there if you remember is that uh Jesus the this idea of transfiguration so the 
the prefix trans means uh, to it can it can mean a number of things. Sometimes it can mean like across, so like transatlantic. But um, in this context, it means uh, to to like dramatically change, right? Um, to to change into a different form, mm-hmm. and so like transgender, right, is when so, when someone changes their their gender dr- dramatically changes their gender. Um, figure figuration, right? You can see the word figure there. Um, so uh, to change the the image or the or the form of something, right? And so when Jesus is transfigured, uh, his what you can externally see of him, it, it changes dramatically. And what they can see there on the mountain is they get a glimpse of his divinity. Uh, they get a glimpse of Jesus' divinity. And what happens is that he shines like this. He, his body turns into this like bright, shining light. right? Um, his clothes become uh, white. Right. Um, I can't remember. If, I think it's Matthew's gospel that uh, which gospel counted is it that says uh, like no man could bleach. Right. Um, it's this just this bright shining light and the, the voice comes down from heaven just like at his baptism. And uh, there's they're, they're almost blinded by by the glory of, of Jesus. Right. So um, he's transfigured before them. Now, what. I think is interesting about the hymn here is that all this imagery in stanza four, sun and moon shall darken be, stars shall fall and heaven shall flee. Uh, Christ will then like lightning shine, all will see his glorious sign, all will then the trumpet hear, all will see the judge appear. All of that is straight from Revelation. So so the book of Revelation talks about all these things uh, about the last day, that the sun and moon will become dark, that uh, stars will fall from heaven, and um, uh, Christ will like lightning shine and all see his glorious sign. Well, what I realized is that um, some of those things Jesus gives us a preview of in his life, right? Um, so actually almost all these things Jesus gives you a preview of in his, in the gospels, in his life, that in a way when, when the divine comes to man, when, when Jesus, God's own son comes to man, and that and the and humans see God in his glory, these are the types of things that happen. So for today, right, Christ will then like lightning shine. Well, that's what happened at the Transfiguration, right? That's gonna happen on the last day, but that's what also what happened at the Transfiguration, is that he like lightning uh, shined, and that was his glorious sign, and uh, that's God and man made manifest. The last day, so then then we're going to talk about this a little bit in the sermon today. Um, only Peter, James, and John got to see that, right? They they were the only ones, and Moses and Elijah, right, uh, who appeared with him. Um, but on the last day, everyone will get to see it, right? Uh, so all, the same goes with sun. Sun and moon shall darken be. When does that happen in Jesus' life? Death. Yeah, it is death, right? Uh, when when it's the middle of the day, but everything becomes dark and only the people that were in Jerusalem at that time right got to see that 
Um, well, perhaps throughout the whole world, right? Uh, actually, I, yeah, I would say probably throughout the whole world that it all became dark. But um, still, only the people living at that time got to see that, right? Um, but on the last day, we'll all, we'll all experience that. Um, so you get these kind of images of, of the glory of God um, that are on the last day, but we get previews of that in the Gospels, which I think is very interesting. So, um, all right. Uh, any questions on that or thoughts on the on the hymn? Well, you know, like in the end times, the uh, the sky will be like rolled up as a scroll, and it mentions sun and moon at the beginning. Yeah. It's a, it's interesting to think about like uh also what it what exactly do these images in Revelation mean? Um right, Christ is gonna reestablish the, the new heavens and the and a new heavens and new earth and um the passing away of this heaven and earth of these heavens and earth, this sky and, and earth. What does that exactly look like? Um right, so when the, the stars fall and heavens flee um that's like very difficult for us to imagine right like the universe basically fleeing or disappearing and then but then being re yeah refigured yeah re remade recreated um all on this on this last last day is uh is very hard to imagine but what we do know is that it will be glorious and that all will bow their knee and that um, Christ will be our king and he will bring us with him to his kingdom. So, um, yeah, good point. I'll have to do a Revelation Bible study sometime. Um, pastors always say that people ask for Revelation Bible studies a lot. So. It's because it was hard to understand. Yeah, it's hard to understand. So. I, I love. I mean, I, I do love Revelation, so I, we could do that sometime. But, um, all right. What's next? Oh, the Catechism. That's right. Yeah, I was just uh, I was just looking this up. So, um, first of all, I would point out that we are back to the beginning of the Catechism. So I believe we've gone through the whole Catechism twice now since I arrived at Beautiful Savior. And I've, I, I think I started at-home prayer like my first week here. Um, so, so I think it's taken us about two and a half years or so uh, to go through the catechism twice. So about a year, a year and a quarter to go through it once. Um, and... That's really not that bad if you think about how many year, year and a quarters you have had in your life. Um, if you just take a little bit of something at a time, right, uh, into little chunks, and you got you got seven days in a week, right, to to memorize um, a couple sentences generally. Um, some of the things are longer, some are shorter. Some of the Bible passages are longer, some are shorter. But um, on average, probably you know three or four sentences between the catechism and the and the Bible memory work, um, you get, and, and, and uh, you have like a year and a quarter to, to go through these. 
Um, it's not that hard to memorize the whole thing, right? To memorize the whole catechism and to memorize, you know, about 52 different Bible passages. So I, I, I used the same Bible passages both years in a row, um, and I, they're, they're matched up with the catechism. If you haven't ever noticed that before, <laughs> the, the Bible memory work has something to do with the catechism memory work. Um, okay, good. That's good. I hope, I hope you noticed. Um, but I did pick the, all those on purpose. I think this year maybe I'll uh, change the Bible verses, still matching them up with the catechism, but add some more in. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, a really, really good practice. Um, I call it memory work for a reason. I, I hope people do try and memorize them. Uh, of course, you know, as as the days go by, sometimes you don't remember every day to to work on it or whatever. Um, I know in our own family we do we do this with our morning devotions and uh, you know some days the morning devotions don't happen when they should or um, the kids aren't paying attention when we when we go through the memory work or whatever. But in theory, right, if you do it every year and and you just do it every day, um, even if you just read it every day for seven days in a row and it's only a sentence, you'll probably just have that sentence memorized whether or not you want to at the end of the week, right? Um, but if you want to speed up your memory, all you have to do is just try not to look at it when you say it, right? And then just say a little bit of it. If you need to look, you can look and then um, just try and build yourself up that way. Sometimes we know it and we don't know we know it. Right. <laughs> Sometimes you can start saying something and then it pops in your head, right? Yeah. So um, anyway, I, I would, yeah, I'm, my, my point is that these, uh, the memory work's actually not that hard if you just kind of do it every day, and um, it really will serve you well, I think, um, because of what we cover in the course of, uh, well, I guess it's over 52 weeks, right? It's like, what about, what's a fourth of 52 would be, uh, yeah, yeah, 12, so what, uh, 64 or so different, different groups of memory work. Um, you get a pretty good, like, uh, summary of kind of biblical doctrine, right? That, and that's what the catechism is meant to be, is kind of a summary of biblical doctrine. You got the, the nine different parts of the Christian life. And so, and then Bible verses to go along with all those. So, um, I think it's a really good compendium of, of Bible verses and the catechism and, if you got that all in your head, um, I know one thing people talk about a lot with memory work or pastors talk about is, you know, if you ever go to jail for being like persecuted for the faith or whatever, you know, um, when the communists come and get us all, uh, you'll, have it in your brain. you'll have it in your brain, right? Or if you're ever without your Bible, you have it, you have it with you, right? Whatever the case may be. Um, and uh, that, that, whatever you have memorized, that'll be your Bible, right? And um, not just your Bible, but the Bible for the people around you too, right? Or even when you're out and about and you and you're talking to someone and they have a they have a question, right? If you have Bible verses you can go to, yes. and uh, without having to look something up, that's very very valuable. So, anyway, I encourage everyone to uh, try and keep up with the memory work as best as possible. Uh, you know, of course, I don't I don't give any pop quizzes or tests, so. Um, you. you know, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> yeah.
Well, I will for the, the, the confirmation students have to, but um, but otherwise I, I don't. So anyhow, uh, so we're, now we're back to the beginning of the catechism. starts with the first commandment. You shall have no other gods, fear, love, and trust in God above all things. The first thing I'd say about that is that um, this is the first commandment for a reason. Um, Jesus starts with this for a reason. Because all the other commandments lead back to this one. So um, God is God, and whenever he shares his will with us, he shares his law with us, um, that's his will for our lives. And we should fear and love him and trust him that we would trust that that will for us is good, that we would fear that if we don't do what he says, he would punish us, and we should... Um, love him so that we want to do what he says. And so whenever we break any other commandment, um, whether it be the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, or tenth commandments, no matter which one it is, um, we are breaking the first commandment. Because what we're saying is, well, we, we don't fear the punishment of, of God. We don't fear his wrath on sin. Uh, we don't love him because we're not doing what um, we're not following his his ways, and that we would if we if we truly loved him, and we're not trusting that what he said is good and good enough for us, right? We're saying I trust myself. I think that I know better, right? That's what we're doing every time we sin, and so every sin is a breaking of the first commandment in this way, right? Every sin is idolatry. Um, and so it is the it is the first commandment for a reason, and I'd also add there that 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 fear, love, and trust, I, that that phrase um, is maybe one of the most I think brilliant phrases of Luther in the Catechism. Uh, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things, because that idea of fear, love, and trust it's such a good diagnostic tool for sin, right? What do you fear? What do you love? What do you trust? Um, and when we can uh, look in our lives and, and look at the things that we fear, right? A lot of people, um, especially today, uh, fear like germs, for instance, <laughs> right? Um, what, do we, what do we love? A lot of people love money. Uh, what do we trust? Um, a lot of people just trust in themselves or in... Um, you know, whatever it may be, right? Uh, we had that, um, Je- I think it was Jehoshaphat, right? Who um, had a disease in his feet, but he, he trusted in the doctors more than in prayer, right? So that's pretty, uh, that's a pretty common one as well. So, but anyway, you can think about all sorts of other things, but that is a, really good diagnostic tool for where we might have idols in our life and where we might have sin in our life. So I love that phrase. I think I think about that a lot. What, what do you fear? What do you love? What do you trust? And um, it's not that you can't fear, love, and trust in other things, right? So it's not sinful in and of itself to fear something like um, an illness, right, or, or germs, as, as long as you're not fearing it more than God, right? Um, as long as you're not trusting in uh, something more than you trust in God for help, right? 
Um, of course, we will be naturally afraid of things, um, and and but there's a difference between, and that's why he says above all things, right? So um, if we find ourselves fearing something more than we fear God, then that's that's where things um, come in. The, the other thing I'd say about fear, too, uh, this will be my final thing, I guess, although I did want to talk about the Bible some, too, is uh, the fear, Some this, this comes up sometimes, but the fear aspect of the first commandment, what are you, fearing God, and obviously that language is all over in the Bible uh, that we should fear God. Some some people will try and soften that sometimes because um, it sounds weird to people to say you should be afraid of God, right? Because God loves you, and and of course God is God is good, and so why would you be afraid of Him? And um, it seems like an odd thing to to Christians in in some sense to be afraid of God, right? That, um, and I think that's a pretty modern notion for one, but um, what people will say, and I, this is true, is that fear is not necessarily just um, like trembling in my boots fear, right? But there is an aspect of what we'd call like fatherly fear, where in the same way that a child is um, afraid of his father when um, his father comes home if he's been disobedient that day, right? Um, that is kind of how we're afraid of God, is that we know that he loves us. We know he takes care of us, right? We're not, we're not truly afraid in that we, we don't think he's going to harm us, but we do fear um, him in a sense that we respect him, right? Um, and I would say that's that's definitely true. There's nothing wrong with that. Although I would say even with that um, fatherly fear, there is a fear of punishment, right? There is a fear of wrath mm-hmm. that we, the reason that we're really afraid is because we know we could be punished for our sin. And, and so um, I think the wrath of God is very important um, whenever, whenever I think about the wrath of God, I think why, you know, without the wrath of God, the gospel doesn't matter, right? Um, without, without God's wrath, what's, what's the point of being saved? Um, if God is not going to actually have wrath against sin and justice against his, the people who have turned against him, then, uh, why, why bother with any of this, right? Just go have fun with my life and, you know, go to heaven when I die, right? Um, but, but God does actually have wrath against sin, and so we need to repent of our sin. And we need to fight against, um, against sin. So, uh, anyway, that that is why we fear Him. Um, I I think that it would be a mistake to say that that fear has nothing to do with His wrath because it does. So, all right. Uh, any any uh, questions on that? I want, I'll uh, I'll just have to talk about the Bible next year. Uh, the Bible memory work. Any questions or comments on that? Yeah, what I was gonna say about the Bible memory work, I'll talk about it just just a little bit anyway. Is that um, I believe Mark adds 
in a word, and I, I was trying to remember which. Uh, so this comes from Deuteronomy 10. So Mark is quoting the Old Testament here. With all your heart and soul. Um, and then there, 30. It's, uh, it's interesting when you see how he quotes it because, um, yeah, so, so G, I mean, this is Jesus talking here. Um, and he, he quotes part of Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, and then he quotes part of Deuteronomy 10 and Deuteronomy 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Um, so, yeah. And uh, Jesus adds in, um, my, depending on where you're getting the quote from, he adds in mind and strength. So um, it's just, it's interesting that uh, Jesus expands on the Old Testament in this way, right? He gives a fuller uh, meaning to it. And he, and he, in that, he's emphasizing this commandment, that the first commandment is uh, to love God with all your heart, right? And uh, fear, love, and trust in him above all things, right? And he adds in, we, we talked at the men's group last night about the connection of mind, body, and soul, and about how Christians are body and soul, um, but how all these other, how everything's connected, and and Jesus expands all these aspects about how you love God, that it's not just with your um, heart and soul. It's not, in other words, it's not just a purely kind of like emotional thing, right? But it's it's with also all your strength, all and all your mind, right? So he's including even some of these bodily terms. But anyway, it's just it's just interesting that that Jesus um, adds to his word in this way. So anyway, um, I think Jesus continually adds to. I mean, when you think about it. Yeah, sure. To, but just when he's specific, he like he mit. So it's his word, right? But he kind of misquotes himself. <laughs> so he he uh um it the. It's very interesting when you look at Old Testament quotes in the New Testament because sometimes they are misquoted, <laughs> um, but misquoted in a way that adds to them. So it's it's just an interesting point there. So that's why I, I really like cross-references. If you have cross-references in your Bible, um, they're very helpful for, for studying the Bible. There's the You really can't read the New Testament without reading the Old because the Old quotes so much from the, or the new quotes so much from the Old Testament. All right, any other uh, questions or comments on any of that? Okay. All right, so uh, moving on then, we'll pick back up with uh, Ahaziah of Judah, Second Chronicles 22, and it transitions basically right over into um, Ahaziah's Mother, uh, Athaliah, or Ataliah, um, however you want to say that, Attilia, 
Um, anyway, either way. Hebrew was a dead language for so long. No one really knows how to pronounce it, so you can you can say words however you want. Not going to bother me. Yeah, I think uh, the the most like English way to say it would be uh, Athelia or Athelia because it's got the T H. But um, the something like that, right? Um. So we're going to finish up with Ahaziah, who we talked about some last week, and then we'll go on to Athelia, the, the queen, the evil queen. But we're in uh, Second Chronicles. Let's see here. Second Chronicles 22. And um, we actually kind of finished up to some degree um, Ahaziah's reign. So the thing we really talked about, Ahaziah was a young man. Um, he was 22 when he became king. And um, the thing to remember is that there's a family relation here between the kings of Israel at the time and this family that's uh, reigning in Judah. So um, Athelia, uh, Ahaziah's mother, is the um, daughter of Jezebel and Ahab. All right, Ahab and Jezebel' um, daughter is Athelia, and Ahaziah's father. Uh, Jehoram, who was an evil king, remembered, um, he turned evil. Uh, his father Jehoshaphat was a very good king, but Jehoram turned evil, and Jehoram fell in love with Athelia, Jezebel's daughter. And Athelia um, is well raised in in wickedness, um, well raised in evil, and so. When Ahaziah becomes king and he's a young man, he is counseled um, by uh, primarily his uncle, who is uh, Joram of Israel, or Jehoram of Israel. So um, his father and his uncle have the, the same name. And uh, Jehoram of Israel counsels him and uh, trains him up in, in wickedness. And we talked about how when you kind of read the story of Ahaziah, it's almost like he's kind of a non, uh, non-player. non Like he he himself doesn't go out and do stuff with much initiative, right? He's not like his father in setting up um, high places and setting up um, false altars to false gods. He's not going out and doing things, but instead he's just kind of hanging around the bad people, right? Same thing with Ahab and Jezebel, if you remember, right? Ahab... Um, did wicked things, but it was kind of because Jezebel was counseling him. And so uh, that's something to recognize is the need for good counselors, right? When we talk about the need for good kings, the needs of right word, right worship, and right prayer, uh, the the prayer and the word especially have to do with receiving good counsel, counsel from the Lord and counsel from the prophets. And 
if they just receive counsel, if the kings receive counsel from other evil kings, things are not going to go well, right? And so uh, that's what happens with Ahaziah. And um, it's actually when he's visiting with Jehoram, uh, his uncle, that he is killed by um, the one who the prophet sent, Jehu, who becomes king in Israel, who's one of basically the only semi-good king uh, in, in Israel is Jehu. And Jehu uh, kills both Jehoram and, at the time, Ahaziah, because he's part of Jehoram's family. And it was commanded that in Israel that family be cut off. Elijah, no, Elisha. Elisha commanded that Jehu go, go, went and killed, killed them. So um, that leaves a power vacuum. So if you look at verse 9 in 2 Chronicles 22, so the house of Ahaziah had no one to assume power over the kingdom. Okay, so there's a power vacuum. And uh, the, the idea of a power vacuum, right, is that it's going to be filled, right? Whenever there's a, uh, you can't have a kingdom without power. And whenever there's a vacuum, right, a, a vacuum is going to suck it up. Um, no matter what, the, the, the space is going to be filled up. And so um, Athelia sees her chance, or Athaliah. I think that's the way that most English speakers pronounce it. I think in in Hebrew when I read it, I'd pronounce it like Athaliah or Attilia, but um, there's a kind of a weird letter in Hebrew that's more like a like a like a more hard t anyway it doesn't matter um but Athaliah we'll say Athaliah I think that's how you're supposed to say it in English Athaliah the mother of Ahaziah uh, saw that her son was dead this is verse 10 and she arose and um you can see how nice of a woman she is she uh destroyed all the royal heirs of the house of Judah so anyone that had potential to take the throne she murdered <laughs> And uh, this includes um, all the king's sons. So remember, Ahaziah is 22 years old. How old do you think his sons are? Little. Yeah, little, right? Um, I mean, they did get married and have children earlier than we do back then. But they're still little, right? Even if he had ch children at, say, 16 or 18, um, they're still little kids, right? So he's got one son, uh, Joash, but there is something um, kind of remarkable here that happens, and that's uh, in verse 11. Jehoshabeth, uh, the daughter of the king, so um, this is talking not about Ahaziah. Obviously, this is not, um, and you, this is clear in 2 Kings chapter 10, I believe, that it's not talking about the daughter of Ahaziah, because, um, again, his kids would be little. But um, this is the daughter of Jehoram of Judah, so Ahaziah's sister. So this would be the child's aunt, right? The child's aunt uh, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. So, oh, and he, here we find out exactly whose daughter she is, right? Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram. I forgot it said that here. Um, the wife, interestingly, the wife of Jehoiada, the priest. So Jehoiada um, is, or Jehoi, 
Jehoiada. Jehoiada. Jehoiada um, is going to be important here in the story of Athaliah. 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 That's what we're saying. Athaliah. I'll, I'll decide how I want to pronounce things. You know, you can tell even they didn't know how to pronounce everything <laughs> because they have two different names for the same people. Right. Sometimes they call them Joram. Sometimes they call them Jehoram. So. Um, they, they didn't even know how to pronounce their own names. So, uh, so Je- Jehoiada, so, and, and again here, Jehoiada, okay, so to give you a preview, Jehoiada is going to like save the kingdom. He's going to bring good kings back in. Um, he's going to get Athaliah uh, off, her, off her throne. But you can see here again that when you have good counselors around, and and good people around versus when you have bad counselors around, how big of a difference it makes, right? So Jehoshabeth, uh, the sister of Ahaziah, um, does this good work by saving this child from a murderous, evil woman. And um, she is married to a uh, faithful priest of Judah. And so um, you got to think he probably, you know, counseled her in this. Uh, he probably, um, or at least he, he counseled her in the sense that she was in a good family and she knew the right thing to do, right? She was under good, good headship, good leadership. So, um, and she hid him from Athaliah. So she hid the son Joash from Athaliah so that she did not kill him. And he was hidden from them in the house of God for six years while Athelia reigned over the land. Okay, So uh, one thing I would point out here is that this story, um, does it sound familiar to you? From, yes, from, yeah, from, from Exodus. From, it's the story of Moses, right? Mm-hmm. That Moses is preserved by God, um, a, a chosen people out of Israel, saved by God to uh, be preserved, to raise up and lead the nation. And uh, this happens even as he is a baby, and it's not like Moses or Joash really have any control over what's happening, right? They are preserved only by God's grace. Uh, They are preserved only by, by God's providence. And so I think one thing to notice there is God's providence, that that God is in charge, and He is interacting in history. Right? He does come into our history, and He does make things happen for the good of His people. The second thing I would I would say there is um, that something that's just made me think of is this idea of of destiny. So it's kind of a when I think about the word destiny. Um, I think of like it, it, this kind of um, feminine idea, uh, like it's it's like a girl's name, right? Um, sometimes people name their children, their their daughters, destiny. Um, and uh, we have this very abstract notion in our society of, oh, this is my destiny that I would you know, become a pop star or whatever, right? This is someone's destiny. They were destined to do this. And it's very, like, emotional, 
right? It, when, when people uh, tend to think about this, I think, um, and it's also, in a sense, pagan, right? Nor- normally, people don't connect this to God in, in any way, that um, this is all like, this is who I was meant to be because I have some certain set of talents or whatever. And uh, I don't know, generally when I hear that people use the word destiny, I don't hear um, that notion really connected to to God. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong on that. But uh, nonetheless, when we look in Scripture, we do see that it seems like certain people do have destinies in this in this way. That certain people uh, do have certain things that they were meant to do from a young age. Uh, that God is going to work out in their lives, and um, I think that is true. That that God does uh, have plans for people, right? A lot of people's favorite Bible verse is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And um, sometimes I hear, uh, ang- let's just say, angry Christians, which do exist, people out there who are generally angry people who are also Christian. <laughs> Uh, get kind of mad at people using that Bible, overusing that Bible verse because it's like uh, it's overused and it's um, talking about like the nation of Israel um, and not about like some individual person. So it's like kind of out of context. But um, I don't think it's complete. I don't think it's wrong. I don't. I don't actually. I don't really agree with that. I don't think it is out of context because what we learn throughout the Bible is that God does know the plans he has for people. And um, so when we think about destiny, what, what I want you to think about is something, one, that's not overly emotional, right? Your destiny in life might not be um, to be some big leader figure or to be uh, some popular figure or to do something um, that seems to the world magnificent, right? Right? So the, one of the main principles in the Bible is, uh, when you look at, especially at the life of Jesus, is humility and um, disregard from the world, right? That the, the word of the cross is shameful, it's folly, right? Who in their right mind would think that um, God would save the world through someone hanging naked on a tree, right? That it doesn't make any sense. It's not magnificent. It's not glorious. In fact, it's the opposite. It's kind of grotesque. But yet, that's how God saves the world. He uses what is shameful to shame the wise. Um, And so, first of all, your destiny might not be something kind of magnificent in the eyes of the world. But nonetheless, God does have plans for all of us, right? God does, uh, from, I think, you know, even young ages or even before we're born know our lives. He knows he is providential. He knows what um, he has prepared for us, and he's going to uh, cause it to come about. And um, he has, uh, I mean, this is in some sense the doctrine of election, right? That that God has elected us. He has predestined us to be his children. And uh, and you can actually, destiny, right? Uh, you, you could just take off the, the Y and uh, add the word pre- and you have predestined, right? 
um, we are predestined to be God's children, we who have faith. And so, uh, you can, but you can see this playing out here in the life of Joash, right? He's by the time he becomes king, he's only going to be seven years old, but yet God had this prepared for him uh, to to bring goodness back into into the land of Judah. But he also has things prepared for us, right? So whatever whatever that may be, um, you know, whatever lives we're able to to witness Christ to, um, whatever. Uh, you know, even if you think about just like the vocations and the table of duties that we talked about in the catechism, right? Even just being a, a wife or a husband or a father or a mother um, or a faithful church member, all those things uh, have to do with our destiny in Christ, have to do with what God has prepared us for. Um, and to live out those Christian lives in those in those stations is is a blessed thing so anyway that's uh but that's based on god's plans right that's not based on some kind of emotional like abstract notion or pagan notion of destiny that that sometimes people think of so uh all right any questions on that oh my goodness is that the time yeah oh it is well there we go it was destined that we were going to end, end at this time. All right, so um, we will then talk about Athelia next week. So that finishes up Ahaziah. Um, oh, yeah, so he he dies by Jehu, and then Athelia takes the throne, um, and she murders everyone but Joash. That's, that's basically where we're at, yep. All right, so then we'll pick up with her reign as queen um, next week, and we're going to look at Second Kings 11. We're going to switch over to the Kings instead of Chronicles, um, which I'll explain next week. But um, all right, sounds good. Let's end in. What well, does anyone have any questions or comments on on Ahaziah or Athelia so far? Okay. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you uh, that you have chosen us as your children. We pray that you would make it clear in our lives your plans for us that we would serve you and that we would fear, love, and trust in you above all things. We pray that you would bless our worship today together, uh, that it would be in spirit and in truth, and that you would open the minds and hearts of all here, that they may love you with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. We pray all of this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.